Today's read, Midnight, A Gangsta Love Story by Sister Soldier, Chapter 12, Akimi. I chose the next morning I was prepared. Saturdays always brought in a heavy flow of customers. Some people realized that the fresh seafood is always delivered on Friday. So on Fridays, I spent a lot of time unloading and moving boxes and barrels and buckets. And Saturdays, I spent a lot of time scaling, cutting, clipping, and gutting fish. Routinely on those kind of days, I covered my head with a bandana. I put on some welding glasses that I used to keep fish scales and particles from flying into my eyes. I had on my work clothes, a raincoat, and an apron on top of that. I'm sure I was looking crazy and exaggerated, but I was quick and thorough at my job. Around three o'clock, I washed down my counter. I headed down to the basement. I had brought and stored a change of clothes and some other items in the locker. Since I was going to meet the girls, I was going to take advantage of the convenience of the basement shower stall for the first time. The water was good and hot, but the air underground and the floor were both freezing. I guess Cho never had to worry about anybody trying to live down there since it was more freezing than outside. Fresh. I spotted Akimi even when I was halfway down the block from the bakery. It was the way she stood in those heels. For the first time, I noticed that Nikes on a female's feet don't have the same magic as heels do. As I came up close, I saw she was wearing a black pleated miniskirt. Her shapely thighs were covered with wool tights that hid her flesh but revealed the curve of her legs. She was wrapped tight in a black butter leather jacket, well tailored to fit her shoulders exactly, and ride down the curve of her waistline, hugging her hips gently. Her black leather gloves were tucked inside the belt that held her jacket closed. Her black epa leather handbag was dangling on the tips of her pretty fingers. <clears throat> Konnichiwa, I calmly gave them their greeting. Akimi smiled and the other one giggled. Um, yesterday we forgot to ask you your name, the other girl said. I looked at Akimi, who was looking at me as though her dark eyes could see beyond my face and into my soul. Midnight, I answered. I figured that was the name to give. I had seen some Chinese movies where every character had a hot-ass name, and I knew a lot of Asian names were rooted in the weather seasons and the elements. Mayonaka, the other girl translated. <clears throat> Mayonaka, Akimi said, serious face with a curl of smoke swirling around her pretty lips from when her breath mingled with the cold air. Now I understood that Mayonaka meant midnight in Japanese. For some reason, the way Akimi pushed out this one word warmed me up like crazy. Are you too hungry? I asked them. Her girl translated my question. No, she's nervous, her friend translated. Ask her what she's so nervous about. She's the one who wanted to kick it. Tell her I would never hurt her. I was looking directly at Akimi when I spoke my words. 
She was looking right back at me with those big dark eyes. She didn't seem nervous to me, and I could feel the pull I had on her. Akimi says, you look so handsome. Tell her to tell me that herself, I responded. The girl gave her my message. Akimi lowered her eyes, then lifted them again slowly and spoke to me in her language. Her voice was so soft. The flow of her words sounded like the seductive whispers of Sade on her Diamond Life album. The soft way she spoke, I had to listen carefully and focus on her hard and block out the regular noises of the New York City streets with the buses, taxis, horns, and hordes of people moving in every which direction. A thought came over me real quick. I wanted to take Akimi out, just me and her. The extra girl was helpful, but she had a different feel to her. She interrupted the strong, silent signals moving back and forth between me and Akimi. Ask Akimi if she can hang out with me on her own. The girl looked disappointed, but she translated my question anyway. Akimi answered with a bright-ass smile. What time does she have to be back? I asked her friend. Our aunt and uncle will close the gate on their store at 7 p.m. If she wants to ride back with us, she should be back by then. If it's later than 7 p.m., she has to go straight to Jackson Heights, Queens, where they live. She should be back no later than 10. I'll tell them she went shopping. If she goes past 10.30 p.m., it will be a lot of trouble for her, she said. Now I realized that the two of them were related. Then they began talking Japanese to each other. I watched Akimi's mouth moving as well as her facial expressions to gauge her reactions. I could tell she was with it. Okay, I'll go back to the store then. Are you sure you two will be okay? Akimi's cousin asked reluctantly. Everything's cool. She'll be home on time. Don't worry, I told her. Oh, and she's an art student. That's what she likes, her cousin said as she turned to walk away. I knew I could have asked her cousin all these questions about who Akimi is and what she liked. She would give me quick responses in her clear American accent, but I wanted to find out for myself what Akimi was all about. Besides, I was attracted to Akimi's Japanese accent, which sounded so much sweeter in my ear. I figured she knew all about Chinatown and Asian things, and I could tell that she liked me and wanted to get to know me better, so I decided not to stick around down there. I would just bring her into my world to see how she reacts and handles that. It was the end of February. The cold air made us move more swiftly. I saw the bright orange powerful sun overpowering the light blue sky but throwing its heat to the other side of the world. I could see the cold air lingering around Akimi's lips as she breathed in and out as if she was actually smoking a cigarette, but she wasn't. I slowed down a bit and watched the way she moved. She turned to see what I was doing behind her and smiled when she thought she knew. I picked up my step and she walked behind me from that afternoon into the night. We hopped on the number six train from Chinatown to 125th Street in Harlem. From the look on her face, it seemed like everything she saw uptown was brand new. First stop was the record store. 
I wanted to pick up a a couple of joints. The owner of the shop was from South Africa. He had a cool vibe. So whenever I was in the area, I threw some business his way. When we walked in, he was playing Mbube by Miriam Makeba. Akimi seemed to like it. Her head was rocking to the beat. Her little foot was tapping on the floor. Look around, I told her and gestured with my arm. The store owner switched the vibe and threw on salt and pepper, the showstopper. When I was ready to go, she had one record in her hand. It was Eric B and Rakim, their first joint. Eric B is president. I flipped the album around in my hand, checking out the cover. Recently, I had heard that hot-ass joint rocking around my way on a tape. The beats were crazy, and the rhymes just reminded me of my Brooklyn block and all of the characters, situations, and everyday happenings. I could understand how somebody who never lived around my way might buy this joint to make themselves feel like they was walking in my hood. But then again, really walking through my hood would be a reality check for anybody who didn't live there. I bought her Hot, Cold, and Vicious, the Salt and Pepper album, and paid for everything else. And we stepped. I needed a lineup. I took her to a barbershop where I had only got a cut two or three times before. I told her to sit down. She did, but within seconds, she stood right back up. She preferred to look around. She might as well walk around staring at everything because everybody in the shop was definitely staring at her. As I'm getting my cut, she's watching me watching her through the mirror. Sometimes she would disappear from my sight because I had to hold my head still for the cut. The barber, with his back to her, asked me, That you, man? Referring to Akimi. That's me, I answered. She different, but she bad, Barbara acknowledged. That was something I had to get used to in this country. Men commenting on the next man's woman. Back home, this was a wrong move, unheard of. Out here in the US, this was common. After he hit me up with a fresh cut, the brush and the talcum powder, I paid and tipped the barber. When I turned around, a Kimi was holding a handful of my hair in her palm. What are you doing? I asked her, also, also gesturing with my hands. She just smiled. She opened her purse and dumped my hair inside a small, nicely crafted, embossed tin box she had with her for some reason. She closed the top on the box and dropped it into her purse. She held up her finger as if to say, wait one minute. She went into the bathroom and washed her hands with the door wide open. In the footlocker, she stood staring at the kids rack, just like I thought. She purchased a kid-sized pair of white Nike Uptowns. I bought some dunks too. It was bugged out being with her. There was almost no talking, but a whole lot of eye contact and signaling. On the street, she grabbed my hand from behind to stop me from walking farther. She wanted to turn into the mart, an indoor black version of some of the outdoor flea markets in Chinatown. She walked into each stall one by one, starting with the art stores, which were up front. There were several paintings of and by African Americans for sale. She flipped through each painting quickly then paused on a particular one. 
I watched her run her fingers slowly across the surface of one picture, feeling the texture the same way I would imagine a blind person would do. In the jewelry stall, she wanted her ears pierced. She bunched her hair up and held it with her hands so the woman could see her ears clearly. What captured me were her fingers. I noticed how on each of her natural fingernails, she had one Japanese letter painted on in black. Each fingernail glistened as each letter was coated with with a layer of clear polish. The woman placed a dot on each of Akimi's ears with a marker. Akimi gave me a glance. I knew she wanted me to hold her hair for her, so I did. It was soft and very long and felt good in my hands. Her face looked even prettier, her profile now not hidden by her hair. I stood looking at her neck. She squinted when the jewelry gun pinched her piercings into place. Her eyes filled up with water, but no tears fell down. I tied her hair into a slip knot and left it that way. She seemed to like it. She rocked it that way for the rest of the night. In the airbrush booth, she pulled her new uptowns out of the footlocker bag and cracked open the box. She wanted her joints spray painted. She looked through the vendor's art book for a sample of what kind of design she wanted him to put on her sneakers. After a while, she couldn't find one she liked. She pulled out her wallet and laid her cash on the counter. She picked up the airbrush gun to gesture that she wanted to paint them herself. Nah, she can't do that, the cat told me. Take your money, let her try, I said. She's an artist. She adjusted the nozzles and started painting her own sneakers. The designs she was making had thinner lines than the design samples the guy showed us. She got intricate with it. It only took seconds to see. She was real nice with her hands. She used only one color, black. When she was through with one sneaker, the guy was asking me if she wanted a job. When she finished her second sneaker, The next customer was trying to get her to stay and do hers next. Outside, the orange sun was replaced by the white moon. The blue sky gave in to the black night. There were very few stars shining in Harlem, yet there were a few trying to break through. It was clear and cold. The sidewalk vendors lined the whole of 125th Street. The people were still out walking, talking, dancing, and keeping it moving. I was feeling hungry. We walked across 7th Avenue. Akimi's eyes searched the buildings, into the windows, empty lots, churches, and alleys. We ended up at a spot named the Jamaican Hot Pot. We sat down at a table in the small dining area there. I ordered chicken curry for her and stewed chicken for me. In the men's room, I washed my hands and face. They didn't look at or seem dirty, but every New Yorker knows when you ride the trains and walk the New York City blocks, dirt just accumulates. I brought a wet napkin back to our table and cleaned Akimi's hands. Her fingers were slim and soft and relaxed into mine. She just sat watching me intensely. When she first tasted the curry sauce, The scotch bonnet peppers made her eyes fill with water again. 
She ate some of the chicken and all of the cabbage and carrots. While sipping on some carrot juice, she began to draw a picture on a white cloth napkin using an unusual marker with a long point shaped like a paintbrush. After some strokes, I was surprised how I could really see my own resemblance in her drawing. She held the cloth up and drew a smile out of me. Then she laid the cloth out flat, went into her purse, and pulled out a thin-tipped red marker. In quick artistic strokes, she wrote in Japanese letters down the right side of the cloth. Mayonaka, Hansamu, she said, looking me dead in my eyes. I could feel her admiration pouring down all over me. It felt good. It relaxed me a bit and drew me in further. The red Japanese letters against the white napkin looked wicked to me. I wanted to keep the drawing, but she folded the cloth up and put it in her purse. By now I figured that's where she kept most of her secrets. I paid our bill. Yvonne, the Jamaican owner of the restaurant, gave me the mean look. I gave her an extra tip for the cloth Akimi took. I'll admit, the whole while we were walking back down 7th Avenue, I was thinking about myself. Here it was, Saturday night, and for the first time ever, I was on a date for self with a female. I knew it wasn't supposed to be happening, but I made myself feel all right by staying in public places with her, not doing anything I or anyone could consider improper. On 116th Street in Harlem, on the steps of Columbia University, I sat her down. It was a nice spot, especially at night. They kept bright white holiday lights on their maple and oak trees all year around. The bright lights lit up the inside courtyard. Students from all around the country and all around the world and New Yorkers moved back and forth and sideways across the campus from building to building. Some of them chilling on top of statues. Some of them chilling behind chilling behind statues. Some of them seated to the side on the steps with their books piled up next to them. Others were gripping hot cups of coffee or buying hot cocoa or tea. This was a place I came every now and then because this was a place where my father had been and spent a lot of time studying and socializing. I would sit here alone sometimes thinking of answers to my own questions first. Then I would think of what my father's answers and suggestions would be. Sometimes I would wonder if I was standing in the same space where he had actually stood several years ago. Akimi did not seem to mind our silent date, but now I really did have things I wanted to ask her. So I just started talking aloud to, to her as if she could understand me. How are you feeling right now? And what are you thinking? I asked her in English. She watched my lips. There was a pause. Then she started speaking to me in Japanese. Of course, I couldn't understand one word. I realized she didn't understand my question either. So, why did you watch me for three months before you finally said something? I asked her. When I finished speaking, she began speaking Japanese again. What were you looking at anyway? And why do you like me? I asked her. Then she spoke Japanese again. 
Do you have a boyfriend? Have you ever been touched by a man? I asked, feeling comfortable speaking this way to her only because I knew she couldn't understand me. She says something else back to me in her language. What do you want anyway? I asked her. She began laughing a little. Then she kept laughing a lot. Her shoulders were shaking. I started laughing too. I don't know when I last laughed so hard. This shit is so crazy, I thought to myself. But I like her. I like her a lot. Damn, I wish you could speak English, I said, laughing and frustrated. She stood up and smiled deviously, put her hands on her hips and said, Speak Japanese. I stood up and pulled her by her hand. Her palms were soft like butter and warm. Over at the vendors, I brought her a Columbia University hooded sweatshirt. When I gave it to her, she smiled like I had given her a brick of gold. She went into her purse once more and came out with a folded shopping bag. As she opened up each square of the bag, I could see that it was made with beautiful decorated heavy paper with gold twine for handles. I thought to myself how she seemed to be a female who plans and thinks ahead. Everything she wore and possessed, down to the smallest items, seemed to be carefully chosen. She paid close attention to details and preferred everything she wore, used, and surrounded herself with to be unique. It added to her elegance. She placed the Columbia hoodie into her shopping bag. At five minutes to ten, on a queen's corner, in a tree-lined residential neighborhood of medium-sized houses, we stood still in the dark. She was looking up at me. I was looking down at her. She steps inside my leather jacket, standing close to my body, but not touching. I didn't need my jacket no more because in the cold air, my body was consumed with heat. She reached up and touched my face like I was one of the African paintings whose texture she wanted to feel. Her fingers settled on my lips. I didn't move. She pulled her hand back and stepped back a little. I got mad at myself for hesitating. I picked up her bags, ready to carry them to her house for her. She held up her hand to gesture, no. Gently, she took her bags back and started walking away. I followed her instinctively. She turned back toward me and said, Sayonara. I knew that this word meant goodbye. I turned and headed back to catch my train to Brooklyn. My body was hot in Queens, cold in Brooklyn, and warm inside my Uma's apartment. When I walked through the door, my mother took one look at me and said, you met a girl. I tried to play it off. It was crazy how she always just calmly stated the truth. She didn't even bother to put it in the form of a question. It was like she already knew and didn't need me to confirm or deny. Stalling, I took off my jacket and loosened my laces, stepping out of my Nikes. No matter how long I delayed, I knew I could never escape Uma's intuition. My seven years young sister laughed at how easily I was exposed. I met two girls, I said, telling the truth but trying to throw her off. 
Which one of them made your face light up this way? She asked. What about my face? I, I dodged. Uma smiled and stood staring. I knew no matter what I said, this conversation would end up meaning the world to her. She was clear and strong in her Islam, a Muslim woman of the highest degree. Uma never lowered her standards. She considered America the land of women with no honor. So I chose my words carefully. She just came to this country six months ago. She does not speak any English. I met her at work. We are friends, I said to Uma, speaking only in Arabic. My sister Naja hung on every syllable, fully aware of Arabic and English. You are leaving some things out on purpose, Uma said coolly and confidently. What things? I dodged again. She is not a Muslim or you would have said that she was. She is very beautiful to you and that's why the light is spilling out of your eyes. You three are friends for now, but you already know that one of the two girls is very special. I just hugged Uma instead of offering her my words. My sister wiggled her way in between us and that was okay too. It was late Saturday night. In our family embrace, I said to Uma, Akimi, her name is Akimi. Uma repeated softly, Akimi. Alone in my warm bedroom, I dashed my window open to bring in a stream of cold air. As I did my push-ups, voices from the streets below also came rushing through. My thoughts spanned from Uma to Akimi, from New York to the Sudan, from Islam to the unbelievers. Surely, I know who I am. Yet the reality is that I am living here. I am young. The niggas on the streets consider religion a trick and a weakness. The believers are seen as the duped and the hustled. The Holy Quran, which is the absolute law where I was born, is nothing more than unknown or useless poetry in the eyes and ears of American youth. I already knew from listening to and observing these American chicks, they didn't give a fuck about female honor. They fucked any random stranger who looked good to them and switched boyfriends like they changed their hairstyles. They definitely gave less than a fuck about marriage. It wasn't even a consideration. In the Quran, I read an ayat in a surah that said, Allah knows the count on your womb. In Islam, it mattered a lot if a woman laid down for a man, her relationship to him and under what circumstances. In the Quran, it was forbidden for an unmarried female to lay with an unmarried male and vice versa. In the Quran, every detail was written clear and simple for true believers to follow and limit themselves. On the other hand, here in the United States, a man gets no respect unless he bangs and twists these females out right away. I consoled myself. The difficult position I was in being from there 
living here, remembering and believing, and over the years seeing nothing outside of my little family that reflected my memories or beliefs. Thank you.